This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by my dad, Warren Tanner. It is entitled, Maintaining a Testimony Worth Dying For, from the book of Revelation. Feel free to check out our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. You can find all of our archived Shabbat messages there, and also wherever you get your podcasts. And you can subscribe to my dad's weekly essays that he uh, sends out. If you put your email in the uh, little email subscribe box and any other information on us as a congregation. As always, our theme music is by my buddy Evan Shaw. And his website is evanshawmusic.com. Enjoy. started we're recording here good to see everybody I'm glad you're here we're gonna be looking in the uh, book of Revelation today I uh, am in Revelation this time through I'm at my third time going through in this sitting and I've been really finding it fascinating to read Revelation in the light of where we kind of are and where I think we're headed prophetically speaking. Um, and I don't know if it's because I've just read it enough over the years, but it seems like my personal understanding or being able to just see the whole book of Revelation as, as one unit has increased these times, uh, this time going through reading it these three times. I don't know about you, but Revelation was always a uh, mystical book. It was hard to figure out how to put it together. There were so many ideas and thoughts and commentaries and how to, you know, look at it dispensationally or not dispensationally. How does it fit together? And so finally, when I was pastoring my church, I just decided, you know what? I'm going to take a different approach that I've not heard anybody else do. I'm just going to read it like it's sequential that is just marching forward logically because if you take the dispensation perspective this chapter has to be put over here and this chapter has to be put over here and it becomes this jumbled mess which i thought just didn't make any sense to me i'm not going to get into the whole notion of uh the rapture thing you know pre-tribulation rapture mid-trib rapture uh, pre-wrath rapture, rapture at the very end. Just again, for the record, I, I never adhered to the pre-tribulation rapture perspective. Uh, as I said, coming, basically getting saved with no biblical knowledge at all, and then just having my Bible and reading it. And at the time I had the old Schofield study Bible. And I would read and say, yeah, that, make, that note makes sense. No, that, makes, that note doesn't make sense. And I, I've always believed, based on Second Thessalonians, that we're going to be here at least until the midpoint of what we consider the seven-year tribulation period. That was not popular then. I was not popular then. I'm still not popular now. Since then, Marv Rosenthal came out with his book on pre-wrath rapture. 
And I'd say that's probably where I fall, somewhere after the midpoint of what we call the seven-year tribulation, before the wrath of God is unleashed, uh, we will be here up until then. Now, whether you believe you're going to be gone at the beginning of the rapture, the mid-rapture, pre-wrath rapture, the thing is, those that are pre-tribulation raptures say, well, we're going to be out of here, nothing for us to be concerned about. What I want us to realize is, even if you hold to that perspective, you have an obligation to still teach the next generation the truth of the Word of God and get them prepared to stand for potentially intense days or we are going to be doing a disservice to our young people that are growing up. We are basically saying nothing to worry about. We're all going to be out of here. And the poor schmucks afterwards are going to have to deal with it. And yes, thankfully, a few will be saved and it's going to be horrible for them. But we don't have to worry about them because we're going to be gone. I, I don't, I've rejected that position. I don't like that mindset. I think it's unfair. So even if you think you're going to be out of here before the tribulation happens, you still have a responsibility to teach the whole counsel of the Word of God and to get people equipped for potentially if they're lost, as the perspective is, and they enter into the tribulation period, hopefully they'll get saved then. Well, if you've not given them enough scripture and enough intestinal fortitude to stand what's going to really be unleashed, you're just just basically setting up a whole new generation of believers to come to be fodder for Satan, Antichrist, the world at large. So try to follow where I'm going with this, and I want to make practical application. So I've entitled this message, Maintaining a Testimony Worth Dying For. The truth of the matter is, believers are dying for their faith this day at different places in different countries around the world. We tend to view all this stuff through the Americanized perspective, the Americanized lens of we don't suffer, we're not going to suffer. We don't even think about having to die for our faith. But the time is going to come where there is going to be increased persecution and what is going to enable potentially us and believers in, in Yeshua to stand is having a sure testimony that we can maintain even unto death. So, I, maintaining a testimony worth dying for. Please don't sit here and listen to this thinking, I'm going to be out of here, don't have to worry about it, I'm never going to have to die for my faith. You don't know that. And as I've come to realize over these four decades plus of reading the Bible, what you think you know now, you might not be thinking like years later. Things change as far as our theological perspective and understanding. All right, so let's pray. We'll get into this, and I don't know how long it'll be, but just hang with me. Let's pray. Father, just bless this time as we look at your word in Revelation. I have no uh, intention of sensationalizing any of this. This is a serious book, and it lays out some serious reality. And I think we are beginning to realize we need to have a mindset that could potentially undergo some of the stuff that we read about in this book. 
if nothing else, help us to just snap out of our lethargy and to realize if we even think we're going to be gone or dead before all this happens, we still have to prepare the next generation and potentially the generation after that to be warriors, to be able to do battle spiritually uh, for the testimony of Yeshua. So bless this time in your word. Pull it together. Do a work in our hearts and um, help us to get out of our at ease in Zion state. In Yeshua's name, amen. All right, now turn to, first off, Revelation 12. We're going to look at a few different passages. It's under this heading of a testimony for Jesus Christ. If, if you read Revelation, there's several passages where it talks about the testimony of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus, you know, the testimony of Yeshua. And, and to me, I, I just, it just seemed to, to, to jump off the pages this last time as I'm reading the importance of maintaining the testimony of Yeshua and presenting to the lost and dying world the message of Him. And John, right off the bat, we'll get to it a little bit later on, starts with the fact that he's on the Isle of Patmos because of the testimony of Yeshua. And he finds himself uh, stuck alone in a sense, on this aisle uh, where God gives him this wonderful revelation. So, did I tell you where to turn? Turn to Revelation 12, if I haven't said that. All right, Revelation 12. We're going to start here, just read a few verses, and I'm going to make read some of my comments. And I hope I can just kind of move through this. All right, Revelation 12, starting at verse 9. I'm not going to worry about plopping us into context. I don't think that's necessary with what I'm trying to point out. All right. Revelation 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, who accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and here it is, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. But what I like is verse 11. And they overcame him. How? By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. They maintained a testimony worth dying for, and they did die for their testimony. All right? Now let me just read my notes here. Try to just not zone out, right? These are my notes. This is going to give you where I'm going with this, and I, I want you to grasp this. All right. Revelation makes it very clear that nothing will make any logical sense as the end approaches. That was one of the takeaways I got from this as I've been reading and rereading and rereading Revelation. I sit there and think a whole Worldwide deception happens. And I'm thinking, how in the heck can that happen? 
But Revelation makes it very clear that nothing will make any logical sense as the end approaches. We're already living in this right now in a very small way with this COVID-19 stupidity. This is illogical. To me, it just makes no sense that so many people have bought into the lunacy of this. And even at this late date, which is what, July 4th, people are still walking everywhere with face masks on. To me, this makes no logical sense. This, This whole thing worldwide is illogical, at least to me. Now, maybe I'm an older generation. Like I always say, I can still remember the day Kennedy was killed, shot and killed. Um, Maybe I've been around too long, but what I'm seeing happening now from when I grew up in the country I grew up in, this is irrational and illogical what has gripped our country and what has gripped the world under the guise of this virus thing. So anyway, As things get increasingly worse, the world will ratchet up its resistance to God with alarming irrationality, defying all common sense and wisdom. And you get that in Revelation because God is just pouring out all this stuff upon the world and they refuse to repent. And they look God in the face and say, screw you, God, we don't want you. And to me, that defies all common sense and wisdom. Now, for this sort of delusion and deception to appear, along with a resistance to the point of a willful lack of repentance, early on preliminaries, such as we're seeing now, must be set in motion. Let me say that again. For this worldwide sort of delusion and deception to appear, along with a resistance to the point of a willful lack of repentance, early on preliminaries, such as we're seeing now, must be set in motion. Always wondered how in the heck was this going to happen? I always had this thing where it's just like, poof, one day all this will happen. No, this is, we're, we're led into this, little by little by little, like the frog in the pot. And, and, and I can see this, and Coy's actually told me he's reading a book by George Orwell, 1984, which I've never read, but I knew the premise of, that Big Brother is going to be watching, and there'll be cameras on telephone poles, and we'll be monitored where are we going. And I always thought, yeah, we won't stand for that in America. We won't allow that to happen. We'll rise up. I won't allow it to happen. I'll fight against it. You know, this is back in, you know, whenever, <laughs> in high school age, you know, early 70s. Nah, no way. Here I am. How in the heck did I get here? How did we all get here? How did we willingly submit our lives to 24-7 surveillance? Little by little by little by little by little. Just like listening to that doctor on Fox saying, you know what, we might have to start uh, taking, removing people out of houses in, in, in our states here and putting them in safe places for their own good. Uh, you know, if somebody in the family is affected, we have to get them out and do that. Well, of course, we'll do this, you know, nicely. and We'll treat them with respect. And then the doctor says, just like we did with the law, seatbelt laws, when we determined that for the best interest of everybody, we need to make it legal. Uh, we need to legalize the fact that you, everybody has to wear a seatbelt. Well, little by little by little by little, now we don't even think about it. 
wearing seat belts. It was a big deal back in the day because we realized that if we start mandating things like this, our liberties are going to be eroded to the point to where now you people and us, we sit there and we're monitored by cameras everywhere and we don't even think about it. How is the Antichrist going to rise to such prominence? How is the whole world going to just willingly be deceived and follow along with what they're told? <laughs> just like it's happening now? Little by little by little by little by little. Early on preliminaries are going to be set in motion. So therefore, we must be settled in our faith and beliefs so that we will not be immobilized by our fears and confusion. We cannot be immobilized because our faith is so weak, we don't know enough of the Word of God to see what's happening little by little and how it plays into the end times, and we get immobilized with fear. We must be settled in our faith and belief so that we will not be immobilized by our fears and confusions. Why? Because up until the very end, we believers are to fulfill our purpose of maintaining the testimony of Yeshua. And if we do, we'll have a testimony worth dying for. Is any, I hope this is making sense. We have, yeah, we have to know what we believe. We have to be strong in our faith so that we will not be immobilized by our fears and confusion. Why? Because up until the very end, we believers are to fulfill our purpose of maintaining the testimony of Yeshua. And if we do, we will have a testimony worth dying for. We don't have it solidly linked into our head that multitudes and multitudes and multitudes around the world are going to be put to death for their faith. And it doesn't impact us because we are so immobilized by pre-tribulational rapture thinking, though we say we don't believe in it, we cannot get it into our heads that it might not, if it's not my generation, it could be my kids or my grandkids that are going to have to experience this stuff. And if we have not trained believers to be on the defense or the offense rather than the defense, they're going to be gobbled up. My kids are going to be gobbled up. And I'm afraid they are. Grandkids are going to be gobbled up. And I'm afraid they're going to be. Because somehow we have, our minds have not the capacity to grasp what's happening. All right, now, as the end approaches, certain things will become noticeably more prevalent. Turn to Revelation 18. As the end approaches certain things will become noticeably more prevalent. All right. Revelation 18, I just want to read verses 23 and 24. And the light of a candle, this is, this is happen, talking about Babylon's downfall. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. Ah, that is so powerful. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. 
For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. One thing that I've realized in reading Revelation this time, all nations will be deceived. The whole world will be grabbed in uh, uh, wrapped in, in, in a deception that everybody buys into. So how's it happen? For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. So what is going to be happening? Uh, what will be more noticeable as the end approaches? Three things. Number one, demonic activity. For by thy sorceries. Demonic activity is going to be on the upswing as the end times approaches, and we're seeing it already. Demonic influence, demonic activity, demonic power is going to be on the upcrease, increase. Second, deception, as I said. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Deception. And then the third thing is death. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. We, if, if you can't, if you're not going to be able to walk out of here or listen to this and come away with anything else, put these three things together. As the end approaches, these three things will become noticeably more prevalent. Demonic activity, worldwide deception, and eventually it's going to lead to death of God's people. All right, now, in Revelation 12, 11, did we read 12, Revelation 12, 11? I can't remember. We've not, all right, go to Revelation 12. We started at 9. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll get there. Let's go to Revelation 12. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about just one aspect. In verse 11, 12, 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Okay, and they overcame him. What I want us to realize is this. Overcoming doesn't always mean safety and deliverance. We have to get it out of our minds that God is somehow going to shelter his people from anything bad. And he's going to always deliver us. And we're not going to have to suffer. And we're not going to have to die. When we think of overcoming, we think God the genie that we rub is going to come and just make everything wonderful for us and keep us safe and protect us. And even though the whole world will be starving to death, he's going to feed us and we won't have any problems and we won't die of sickness and nothing's going to happen. No. It's talking not so much about a physical overcoming as it is a spiritual overcoming. What enabled these people to die unto death is they overcame their fears, their anxieties, and their desire to live their life. They loved not their life to death. That's overcoming, and that's the overcoming we're going to have to learn to have. It's a spiritual overcoming. It's that which is going to take, which takes which has taken every martyr to the point of death. They overcame their fear of death and loss and possibly the things that might happen to family members afterwards because they loved not their life unto death. 
if we're going to be able to have a generation that is going to be able to stand and not buy into this crappy gospel prosperity, prosperity gospel nonsense, we're going to have to get our children, our grandchildren to realize overcoming doesn't mean God takes us out of everything. Overcoming means you know enough of what you believe. You already have it settled in your heart and in your mind that if it comes to you see your wife killed, if you see your kids killed, if you're going to be killed, you will not melt. You will not give in. You will overcome to the point of death. Now we don't want to think about this and we don't think it's going to happen to us. But I'm telling you, until we can switch that, flip that switch in our mind and realize there is going to be a generation of believers that are going to die by the multitudes, we're useless because we're not passing down anything that's going to help anybody survive. Turn to, uh, so we've, yeah, so let's go back to Revelation 6 again. And I, I, I want us to read 9 through 11. And then I'm going to tie it in with Revelation 17. So, Revelation 6, verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Notice, they were slain for the word of God and because they maintained their testimony. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season. Why? Until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. You know, God's not, he, God's not delivering his people from, from being killed. He's saying, to, hey, sorry, you guys, there's more that are going to be killed here. Turn up to Revelation 17. Just a couple verses here. I'm going to try to be more uplifting and positive here as we go along. <laughs> but I don't know how to do that in Revelation because it's not a pretty picture. All right, 17, 5 and 6. And again, we're just kind of picking it up. <clears throat> and upon her forehead, this is the woman that was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, verse 4, and decked with gold and precious stones, blah, blah, having golden cup in her hand full of abominations, filthiness, and fornication. All right, verse 5. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And notice, I saw the woman drunken. This is almost orgiastic. I don't know how else to say this. It's, it's, there's such a bloodthirst and a bloodlust. It's, it's overcome to the point of a, they become intoxicated with this notion of blood. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. She was drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Yeshua. This is bad stuff. All right, now, let's do a little bit of a, an interlude here, I guess. Turn to Revelation 16. I did now, I just, this is kind of to break away from that horrificness. Something that is, I just found fascinating. Uh, still in Revelation. So, Revelation 16. Um, I want us to read 5 through 16. 
I have my Morris Study Bible <clears throat> here with me now that I'm going to read the notes from. My brother-in-law gave it to me on my 60th birthday. The thing is a brick. I don't know how many pounds it weighs. The thing is absolutely humongous, as those of you who can see can see. It's, it's heavy, very nice leather and everything. But anyway, Morris was a creationist. Henry Morris was a creationist. And so there's a ton of notes in this thing which help you to, to see, especially prophetically, how the elements of the world uh, um, are going to play into it. The elements of the heaven, the elements of the sea, the elements of the earth. And they bring a perspective that opened up for me a window to be able to see what is really going to be happening during this on earth in the heavens and to be able to make sense of it. Uh, to have a picture of it anyway in my head. So we're going to read 16, 5 through 16. Uh, and I heard, well, let's do a four, four. Merrily, Merrily, could you maybe move back a little more or something? <laughs> I'm glad he's quiet, but <laughs> he's not quiet. All right. So Revelation 16, four. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers. Now try to get the imagery here and I'll read some notes. Third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even say so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And... The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Yeshua speaks, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together unto a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. All right. Wow. I'm trying to guess. See, reality is something that we're having a hard time grasping with. God's people being killed, blood being shed, the world forces being drunken, intoxicated with the notion of shedding their blood. And then on top of that, God's going to pour out all this stuff on the elements, the world, the earth, the waters, the skies. And yet they still blaspheme God and won't repent? Whoa. All right, so let me read you some of the things that Morris ha has to say in his notes. Try to, 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 to follow along. So verse 8, upon the sun. 
This is so, I thought, amazing. So verse 8, upon the sun. The angel responsible for the sun's energy conversion process. <laughs> you ever think of it like that? The angel responsible for the sun's energy conversion process and understanding their real nature will be able to intensify them perhaps sevenfold. The intense heat and light, little relieved even at night, will aggravate their sores even more. Furthermore, the high temperatures will likely... This Look, I thought you want to read this. Furthermore, the high temperatures will likely melt the polar ice caps, causing a rapid rise in sea level, which will inundate and destroy most of the great and wicked cities of the world situated as they are at sea level. Such scriptures as Job 38, 22-23 seem to suggest such a thing as well. The treasures, literally storehouses, of the snow which I have reserved against a time of trouble or tribulation. Whoa! Who would have put that ever together? The melting of the ice caps. Job talking, the book of Job talking about how the, the treasures of the snow which I have res, reserved against a time of trouble. This is, a, this is amazing. So God... Because he's going to intensify this heat, the polar ice caps are going to melt. And because of the intense heat and light, little relieved even at night, this heat. And it's still when it's so hot, it will aggravate the swords even more. Furthermore, the high temperatures will likely melt the polar ice caps, causing a rapid rise in sea level, which will inundate and destroy most of the great and wicked cities of the world, situated as they are at sea level. Woo! See, we have to understand. I, I have to be able to visually see. This is a visual. All right, verse 9, uh, 10, note. Seated a beast. The first four vials of wrath will have affected the whole earth. The fifth, however, will be applied only to the seat, that is, the throne of the beast in his kingdom, presumably his capital. This will likely be a restored Babylon. The contrast between the intense light from God all over the world with the satanic darkness in its capital should be a profound spiritual parable. The seed of his darkness, the seed of his power is going to be darkness, but there's going to be intense light from God all over the world. This is so good. It takes you back to where there's darkness um, during the, the, uh, in Egypt, where it was light in Goshen, but dark on the kingdom of Pharaoh. The contrast between intense light from God all over the world with the satanic darkness in its capital should be a profound spiritual parable. <laughs> Repent and not, verse 11. Despite all these evidences of God's power, men will continue to reject and blaspheme God. Verse 12. The great river Euphrates. This building upon the ice cap thing. The ocean level will rise because of the melting of the ice caps while the great rivers of the world will tend to dry up because of the intense heat of the sun. And this will especially affect the key river Euphrates flowing by Babylon and providing the main water supply for its industries and inhabitants. Much of its water comes from its source high in the permanent ice cap of Mount Ararat which also now conceals the remains of Noah's Ark. By this time, time, the drought 
of the first three and a half years will probably have melted this ice cap and will have revealed the ark as a final convincing testimony to the worldwide flood of Noah's day and the folly of evolutionary geology. The intense heat of this plague will contribute to the more rapid depletion of Euphrates compared to the other great rivers. Isn't this pretty cool? All right, now, verse 12. The kings of the east. The great populations of Asia, Japan, China, India, etc. Who's, who's in the news right now? China, India, these, this whole area over there, especially the thing with China and India with the, the incursions they've had at the borders recently. So the great populations of Asia, Japan, China, India, have long followed the ancient religions of occult pantheistic evolution. They will be easily influenced by demonic spirits to oppose the soon-returning Christ, especially when they see the Euphrates wither away, signifying to them that the ancient boundary between east and west has been removed. They will recall all too well the terrible suffering, suffering inflicted on them uh, by the demon horsemen from the Euphrates just four years previously. But now these are gone. They know, too, that the plagues had been called down by the two witnesses in Re Revelation 11, last seen in Jerusalem, and that the land promised by God to Israel had extended to the Euphrates. Even though they may have resisted the beast at the time, they will willingly hasten to the land of Israel to fight against Christ and uh, his people when the beast summons them uh, this time. This is all fascinating, folks, and we're still living in a fairy tale land of we're in America, we're safe, and we're not going to be bothered by anything, and somehow God's going to wrap you in the church, and the Polish monks getting saved. Well, we're not even worried about them. They'll figure it out somehow, and they're going to have a strong faith to overcome and unto death. Ah, but we are going to be spared. This is stupid, stupid satanic thinking. Am I not making sense? It's time to wake up, folks. So the notes I just read, this passage, Revelation 16, 5-12, this passage reveals an intense pressure that will be launched as a last-ditch effort to eliminate God. How? Eliminate his presence. Let's get God completely out of here and let's get rid of his people. And it's happening already. That's what I said. There's going to have to be little baby steps happen along the way to prepare a whole world to finally say, we hate you, God. We know what you're throwing down at us. We defy you and we will not repent and show you that we're going to further remove you from this world and we're going to even kill your people. Just like we did with the two witnesses in Revelation 11. But they came back to life. <laughs> what happened when those two witnesses were killed? The, 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 the testimony they maintained? They were killed and the whole world could see it. And they rejoiced for three days that those witnesses that just ruined our lives and made us unhappy. We killed them. Ding dong, the witch is dead, the wicked witch, the witch, the witch. You know what? They come back to life. 
All right, now let's finish. We're going to finish. Some verses to ponder as we think about our own testimony and if it's worth dying for. Listen to me. Verses to ponder as we think about our own testimony and if it's worth dying for. Because if it's not worth dying for, you won't live for your faith either. If my faith, if your faith is not worth dying for, you're not going to live for it now. You're going to live in some fairy tale world of everything's fine, Jesus loves me, God's going to fix everything for me, everything's going to be fine, he wants me happy and healthy, you know, he wants me to have, you know, expensive cars, houses, everything's fine, and cruises with the messianic groups, he wants everybody just happy. And somehow he's just going to snatch his people away and everything will be great. Well, let's go to Revelation 1. Just some verses that talk about this testimony. I'm done. All right. All right. So uh, John starts out his book. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And that could mean quickly once it starts. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God, here it is, and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things, guard those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. All right. Uh, verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, companion in tribulation, notice, we're not talking rapture here, this is a long time ago, companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and perseverance, patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos. Why? For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. What? God didn't spare him. God didn't deliver him. God didn't make everything fine hunky-dory for him. Like he didn't do with the other apostles. They met death. All right, chapter 12. Just a couple verses. I'm not going to say a whole lot. I'm trying to give us a feeling, a, a way to wrap our heads around this book in, in at least one tangible way. All right, 12. We've already read verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. But also verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you don't have a testimony worth dying for, you're not going to be opening up your mouth and being a, a spokesman and a testimony and an illuminary for Jesus Christ and holding forth the word of God and getting out the gospel. It's not going to happen. We will keep our mouth shut. We will cower in fear. And because we don't have a strong testimony and a strong faith now, we're not going to stand up for Jesus when the time comes. Who the heck are we kidding? If you don't have a, a faith, a testimony worth dying for now, you're not going to live it out. And you might have to die for it. Neither will I. All right, chapter 20. Verse 4. 24, and I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and ju judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God 
and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And you say, we sit here and say, oh, well, I'll never take the mark of the beast. How many Christians are out there taking the mark of the beast already by wearing this stupid face mask and doing everything that they're told to do against all logic and even good doctors that have said what we're doing is lowering our immune system by not breathing in the air and touching the dirt around us and walking barefoot in the, on the, at the ocean and, the, and going into the water because there's stuff that we need. And yet we have Christians that are just laying down and doing whatever they're told to do. Yet those same Christians will say, I will never take the mark of the beast. Yes, you will. Maybe. All right. One more passage. Let's turn to 2 Timothy. Come next week. Luke will preach and you will enjoy it better. <laughs> 2 Timothy. All right, chapter 1. Paul writing to Timothy because Timothy was facing some real threats and it was starting to get to him. So Paul feels the need to write to Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, starting at verse 6. Timothy, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love of a sound mind. Be, I'm highlighting this word ashamed. Be not thou therefore ashamed, and connecting it with testimony, ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy call, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Wherefore, I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of Jesus. Uh, sorry, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Notice, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. Why? Because he had a testimony worth dying for. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So Timothy, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, Timothy, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all which are in Asia be turned away from me. They said they'd stand, but they didn't. Of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me, and here it is, and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome... He sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of our Lord. When? In that day. And in how many things he ministered to me at Ephesus, Timothy, you know very well. Thou therefore, my song, son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I'm, all I'm trying to get to see is we need to do a seismic mental shift in our thinking. We have to 
re-gear where our minds are for what is going to be coming. And I think, imperceptibly, we are getting pre-programmed to just slide right into what's coming next, just like we did with seatbelts, just like we did with the cameras everywhere, just like we did with the take the mask and wear them. And, and, and listen to the wise Dr. Fauci and all these notable people that are telling us all these things to do who are demonically influenced, if not possessed. And we think somehow we'll stand when it gets tough. No, we won't. No, we won't. Paul had to encourage Timothy in his day. Timothy, don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed of the testimony. Stand firm. John is saying, listen, guys, I'm telling you, end time stuff, but look where I am. The fact that I had a testimony that I maintain is the true. It's, it's got me exiled on this aisle. And he writes this whole book that says, look at me as a model to realize you have to have a faith which will you'll die for if you have to, or be in prison for if you have to. That just doesn't happen. You know, God might go poof and make us super people, because it seems to be how some of that happens in Revelation, how the weakness were made strong, were, were waxed valiant in, in fight. I think some of that will happen. But there has to be a little bit of something for God to work with. Now, he might zap us all with supernatural ability and we won't have to worry about it. We're just marched to death with a smile on our faces and cutting our heads off. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And I can't help it. You know, I'm, I'm the guy that doesn't have much longer to live. You know, my wife has me living about another 50 years you know, but the Bible says you get three score and ten, and if you're lucky, you're going to get a little bit more. Listen, I'm on the way out of here, but I've been reading this book a long enough time, and to see stuff that has unfolded over the last 50-plus years and 40-plus years of my salvation, and, and I'm concerned that where we are is the body of Yeshua. We are just weak. We are like the, the, the church in Revelation where you, you, you think you're, you're, you're doing great, but you're not. You don't know how weak and poverty-stricken you really are. So God has John write to seven churches, which I think are emblematic of the, all the churches in church, the church age at different points in times. And you know what God says to the churches? Repent, 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 repent. Unless you repent, unless you repent, unless you repent, unless you repent. <laughs> the reason the world is as screwed up as it is is because God's people don't realize they need to have any form of repentance going on present tense in, in our lives now. And so he, he, he gives this picture in the first three chapters of the church and how it's going to be. And he says over and over and over, repent, church, repent, my people, repent, my people, my people, repent. And yet somehow we think the world is going to repent. We just read in Revelation. The world, it's, the juxtaposition was so stark to me. He's telling his people to repent at the early part of the book. You read through the rest of Revelation, the world will not repent. He has to tell his own people to repent. Evidently, they're not doing it on his own. And then the world says, we will not repent, God. 
And I have to wonder in part if it's because they've never seen a, a model demonstration of what repentance really is. In the lives of God's people, we don't repent of anything anymore. We're good to go. So, you know, this is the stuff you're probably going to hear from me. I'm not the feel-good guy. And I don't care anymore because I see too much and it's all right there. And because we don't read it, don't keep our nose in it, don't spend time in it, we're too busy watching people on YouTube and our teachers here and we're reading their books and we don't stick our nose in the Word of God. We're dependent on what everybody else does and we don't know how to make a decision on our own because we as the good people are so latched on to our teachers and those that we follow after, we're, we're, we have to look to them to find out what to do. They're not going to be around. What if there's an EMP? What? Just read the stupid paper. Do you read about how easy it is to take our national grid out? All you have to do is a one-place shots and guns and everything get shut down. What are you going to do when, when the grid is down and you can't... Where's my guy on my computer? I can't find him. What do I do now? We're so pathetic. Yeah, I don't feel sorry for you if that's how you are. And you don't spend time in God's Word. And you're not going to be able to point the finger at me and say, well, you didn't say anything. Why did you warn me? Getting an attitude here, aren't I? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Take my attitude out where it's wrong, but leave it in where it's right. You know, I, we, we don't even know. You know. The minor prophets, they had a message to say, and they said it in such a way that it, man, they paid for it. And nobody wanted to hear it. Not even, not just the world, but even your people didn't want to hear it. And they, they just mocked and maligned the prophets. And I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm not equating myself with them. But I'd, I'd, I'd be less than uh, 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 honest, God, if I didn't say I think I'm seeing stuff kind of being put together in front of my eyes because I have enough backdrop of so many years of life and Christianity to see what the heck is going on and where we are now. We are in a precarious position. <sighs> so as Paul told Timothy, buck up, Timothy. Don't be afraid. Maintain the testimony. Don't be embarrassed by me. Know what you believe in us so that you can stand and not be ashamed about yourself. I'm trying to say that now. This is a message that's always been. It goes back to Paul. Well, we need to hear it now. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does Face on the mount of your grace and your